What an amazing weekend of sports. The NFL came back with a vengeance and it was amazing as per usual. What was Nathaniel Hackett thinking on Monday Night Football? Like, that was ridiculous. We got to talk about that. Are the Cowboys done now that Dak Prescott is done for the season? Mahomes and the Chiefs shut everybody up, at least for week one. They look unstoppable against the Cardinals. How will they look against the Chargers? That's their earliest real season test. It's going to be amazing on Thursday Night Football. And Alcaraz wins the U.S. Open, defeating Rude in a four-set thriller, becoming the youngest person ever to win the U.S. Open at Grand Slam. And he's also the number one player in the world. Crazy, crazy stuff by Alcaraz. Amazing player. I think he's going to revolutionize tennis. In this new age of social media, Alcaraz coming through is amazing for the sport. And it's going to bring a lot of eyes to it. And it's, I'm just so happy for the kid. He's so humble. He's so genuine. It was an amazing, amazing U.S. Open. It was an amazing weekend of NFL football. And it was an amazing couple last days of Champions League soccer. But I think we're going to get to that on another episode if I get the time. Today, let's talk about the NFL. Let's talk about Alcaraz winning the U.S. Open. Let's get started. Episode 104 of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. What was Nathaniel Hackett thinking? Like, that's... For him to not go for it on fourth and five is ridiculous. I'm sure everyone has already... You know, voice their opinions, watch the videos about people talking about it. But I just want to say, like, it's crazy. It's still crazy. Today, it's it's Wednesday. We've had a couple of days to digest that decision for him to not go for it on fourth and five and kick a 63, 64-yard field goal is, is crazy to me. Like, I was watching the game live, watching the end of it, and I'm like, okay, there's no way that... I, honestly, it wasn't even... It wasn't even a, consideration in my head i was like what like obviously they're gonna call timeout and then when they didn't is peyton manning was talking at the same time saying oh they might try to draw him off sides like, okay that makes sense that makes sense and then they just ran it all the way down and then even when they called the timeout with one second left the regular espn commentators they were like oh they ran all that time like there's only 22 seconds left how are they like they're playing a very risky like no one no one switched to like, oh, they're going to go for a field goal. Like no one, no one, no one. Like even on Twitter, I, I follow a lot of people that follow sports that, that, you know, tweet about the game. I tweet about the game too sometimes. And no one was like, oh, oh, they're going to go for a field goal. Everybody was just like, damn, that's bad. That's bad clock management. Like what, what are they doing? Like they just kind of made made it harder for once. If they do convert this fourth and five, they just made it really, really hard. And that, the field goal team comes out and is like, what? In the world, they're going for a 64-yarder to win the game. Uh, it's in outdoors conditions, away, not even at home, away. Like, it's crazy. Everyone and their mamas, everyone and their mamas thought they were going to go for it. And Russell Wilson, $245 million man, he's known for being clutch. I don't know if Nathaniel Hackett has watched any of Russell Wilson's highlights. Like, he just makes stuff happen. Like, I'm thinking, like, Packers, against the Packers multiple times. Like, when we had the replacement revs. When they beat them in the playoffs after they he threw like four interceptions in the game and they still won in overtime because the tight end couldn't catch the offside kick. Like Russell Wilson just has like a little magic pixie dust throughout his career where he just pulls games out of nowhere against the against the Vikings where the kicker missed a field goal. Like he's just known for having a lot of luck. And maybe it's cause he's religious, or maybe it's just cause when you work hard, you know, luck comes to, comes your way. But he's just throughout his career, he's had a lot of lucky breaks. A lot of it is himself. A lot of it is just, you know, that's how the cookie crumbles and he gets lucky sometimes. 
But it's Russell Wilson. Regardless, because luck, you're not. He's like really, really good, and you're paying him a lot of money, and that's why you traded for him. So that, you know you haven't had a quarterback that you trust in these situations since probably Peyton Manning. So for him to not give Russell Wilson the ball fourth and five, three timeouts left, ridiculous, ridiculous. And then the the worst part is you waste the timeout, so now you can't try to force a punt the other way. I mean, you can't try to stop them on three downs if you do miss a field goal because you only have two timeouts and it's over. Oh, man, it's just it doesn't make sense. And then later afterwards on Tuesday, Nathaniel Hackett says that looking back at it, he probably should have gone for it. Like, no shit. <laughs> Everyone could have told you that. Like, no one was thinking. And then the excuse that, oh, you know, they told him that they're right at the edge of the range for the kicker. Like, you never want to get to the max range. It's always like a, a bluff. It's like, yeah, he said he could hit from 55 or 56, 58, like, and their career high is like 52. Like, bro, what are you talking about? He had never made a kick longer than like 61. I think they showed a stat that like 62-yard field goals and further, he's like 0 for 6. And so it doesn't mean anything when they tell you like, yeah, I could kick from 64 um, pre, pre, like before the game starts. That doesn't mean anything. Like it's just they're giving you a number to work with. But if their career high is like 61 and they're 0 for 6 on 62 Plus yards, field goals, like, bro, it doesn't matter if he tells you he's, he could hit from 64. That's just the little number he gives you so, like, you feel good. And, it's like, as a head coach, you should know this. He is a first-time head coach, but is Nathaniel Hackett in the hot seat after one week? Well, that's crazy. It's crazy to think about it. But, like, this decision is really, like, terrible. It's that bad of a decision by Nathaniel Hackett. And in this division, the AFC West, which everyone knew is the hardest division coming into the season with the Chargers, with the Chiefs, with the Raiders, you're going to have six battles guaranteed in the division, just within the division. So for him to blow a game against the Geno Smith-led Seahawks, that's crazy. That's insane. Is he on the hot seat? He might be. I think you got to give it a little bit of time, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for Nathaniel Hackett to put this past him, especially as a first-time head coach. But we'll see how he does. What did you guys think? I thought it was ridiculous. I... I never, it never occurred to me that he was going to kick the field goal. I just thought he had bad clock, clock management. But what ended up happening was much worse. Like, it was black, bad, bad clock management and just bad overall, like, understanding of the game, of the situation, of, of your personnel, of your quarterback. It was just bad all around. And, man, the Broncos really lost the Seahawks in Russell Wilson's return to Seattle where he got booed. <laughs> they got the last laugh, too. Like, that's... That's incredible. We'll see how the Broncos bounce back. We'll see how Nathaniel Hackett bounces back. We'll see how Russell Wilson bounces back. I kind of expected more from Russell Wilson. We'll see if he starts getting into that rhythm again or if he looks like the player from last year after he hurt his hand and he wasn't really the same Russell Wilson. But overall, crazy stuff. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett has to get it together or else, you know, it might be a short stint with Denver. Like, there's other, there's other, there's other coordinators that went to Denver and it didn't work out. I'm looking at Josh McDaniels, but we'll see how it goes. Crazy stuff. I, I never thought they were going to kick a field goal, and they did, and it's I'm still amazed that they did that. Are the Cowboys done after losing Dak Prescott on week one? Well, first of all, they looked terrible against the Buccaneers. They looked atrocious. It was bad. Their offense was hard to watch. On my fantasy football team, I picked up Gallup, put them in my IR spot, and thinking like, oh, this offense is really good. Once he comes back, he's going to you know hop back in, and he's going to look amazing. He's going to catch a lot of passes. 
Well, that plan went out the trash because even without without him, they look bad. I don't think they're going to be that much better with him. Zach Prescott's now hurt. Initially, it was like six to ten weeks. Now they're saying less than four weeks. I don't know who to believe, but this offense already didn't look good. So if, to have Dak Prescott rush back with the hurt hand on his throwing hand, it's, it's not good news for the Cowboys. Before the season started, I had already said that I thought the Eagles were the favorites for that division. Keep in mind that the NFC East does not repeat in seasons, in back-to-back seasons since forever. And I do think the Eagles, they look good. They play the Lions. We'll see how they do against tougher competition. But the Cowboys, I think they're, I think the Cowboys are done. Like, no Dak Prescott. The offense looks bad. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott's not the same wide receiver. They don't have Amari Cooper. They, they don't have uh, Gallup right now. He's coming back. Coop, uh, um, Dak Prescott is gone for at least four weeks. Like, I'm seeing people releasing him on fantasy already. So, like, people, people are, it's not just that he... He's not coming back until like four weeks and they didn't put him on IR. So he might come back within four weeks, but I don't see it coming. And he, but he didn't look good. Sunday night football, it was a boring game. Like I hate to say it, like, cause last year they played on the Thursday night game to open the season and it was an amazing game. But on Sunday night football, man, I was falling asleep. I was falling, I'm not gonna lie. I was watching football the whole day. And usually I take a little nap between the, the, the later, the PM games and the night game. Take a little nap in there to refresh, feel a little better, you know, get a little energy for the Sunday night football game. And usually the Sunday night football game wakes me up because I hear Chris Collinsworth commentating and something exciting happens. I'm like, okay, I got to wake up. This game never really picked up, never really woke me up. I was kind of drowsing. I mean, I did watch it, but I was like drowsy kind of the whole way. I'm like, oh, when, when's someone going to do something cool? Checking, not really, nothing really going on. And then I finally woke up and I watched it. And I'm like, man, I should have stayed on that drowsy, little comfortable state I was in because this was not that exciting. It was really not. And I do think the Cowboys are done. I really do. Um, I, ne- I I thought they would get second or third, maybe squeak in in a playoff position, a wild card position at the beginning of the season because I thought the Eagles were going to win the division. But after this injury to Dak Prescott, I think they're done. And I'm not a Cowboy hater. Like, I do understand why people hate on the Cowboys, but I'm not a Cowboy hater. I'm just, I really don't see how they're going to get into the playoffs. It is what it is. Sorry, Cowboy fans. Um, I think they kind of need a retool. Um, we'll see how Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott, he has a big contract, but he's not a quarterback to carry the team. And now that they lost a couple of their wide receivers, Ezekiel Elliott a little bit, not the same player that he was, um, they might be in some trouble. But a team that did not look like they were in trouble in week one, which a lot of people said that they would be in trouble. The Chiefs looked amazing against the Cardinals. Cardinals, who, you know, a lot of people kind of had them as a potential sleeper team, a team that could take that jump. Um, they have gotten better with Murray um, every single year, so maybe they can make that jump. Albeit all that drama that Murray had this offseason with the studying rule, the studying clause on his contract being added, being removed, all that controversy. The Cardinals, I don't think anyone thinks of them as a slouch, as a team that you know anyone's going to drop 40, 40 bomb on them and just beat them by double, like 20-plus points. The Chiefs did that to them, and they looked like the dominant team, and it looked like they kind of let off the gas. They could have been worse, kind of let them score a couple touchdowns just to, you know, not make it look so bad. Not not saying that they, they give up, but they definitely, like, you know, the game was in the bag. It was like, whatever, all right, get your little touchdown for conciliation. But the Chiefs looked good, man. They shut everybody up. Tyreek Hill, who, man, Travis Kelsey looked amazing. Patrick Mahomes, 
Patrick Mahomes is so good. He might be underrated. Like, the fact that people are saying that, you know, Mahomes is not the best quarterback in the league, that Josh Allen has surpassed him, that, you know, you got to watch out for these young quarterbacks coming up, like Justin Herbert or, you know, I don't know, a lot of these other guys. Like, Mahomes is still the man. Like, there's a lot of passes where he was throwing with anticipation, like leading his wide receivers between, like, three or four defenders. Like, it was a massive masterful performance by Mahomes he's clearly still the best quarterback in the NFL and the Chiefs are here the Chiefs are here to stay and all that talk about Tyreek Hill was kind of overstated but I will say this they play the Chargers on Thursday night football tomorrow it's gonna be an amazing game I do have them both as the teams that are gonna duke it out for the AFC West probably for the first seed in the AFC uh, or maybe second seed behind the Bills because the Bills' division is a little easier or much easier. But this is this is a real test. At home against the Chargers with no Keenan Allen, they should win. It's going to be a tough match regardless because the Chargers do match up really, really well against the Chiefs. And they kind of built their team to beat them. But this is a test. Like, if they really need Tyreek Hill, we're going to see it on Thursday, tomorrow. If they don't, if they're able, if, they're, if they evolve their offense beyond Tyreek, it will also be on display tomorrow. And I'm just excited because I did draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And he looked good week one. I have him in some of my fantasy leagues. He looked good. He picked up a couple of receiving touchdowns. Mahomes spread the wealth. He still threw a lot, but they ran the ball a lot too. Spread the wealth. The Chiefs look like a very balanced offense. We'll see if they stay balanced or if they were just balanced because they were up a lot on the Cardinals, who looked very measly, I do say, on Sunday. But... Overall, I think the Chiefs look really good. They they were the best team on Sunday, and they have a real test coming up this Thursday against the Chargers. And I do I do think the Chiefs are going to win. Keenan Allen is banged up with the hammy. Unfortunate. I do have him on one of my fantasy leagues, too. I lost by less than a point. I started him, so I'm sad about that. But I do think the Chiefs find a way to win on week two against the Chargers on a short week, and they quiet the crowd even more week by week, saying, like, it's not going to be the same team. Mahomes is going to regress without Tyreek. They definitely shut those shut those people up in week one. And we'll see how they do in week two. I do have them beating the Chargers. And last but not least, Alcaraz wins the U.S. Open. He's the number one ranked player in the world. First Grand Slam, first Slam, first time being ranked number one player. Youngest player ever to be number one overall in the ATP. Amazing, amazing accomplishment by Alcaraz, whose needle is pointing all the way up. His ascendance to the top has been rapid has been amazing to see from winning you know like the u.s um the u.s open was a culmination of it but he won some clay tournaments he won rio he won uh the miami open he won uh madrid barcelona i think too like his ascension has been crazy this year and it culminates winning the last slam of the calendar year the u.s open and, you know, he punches ticket to the ATP Finals, too. It's going to be great to see him there, too. Uh, but first, before I continue, you know, just singing Alcraz's praises and talking about, you know, how I saw it coming. But that's not really saying much. Everyone saw Alcraz coming. Got to give Rude, Rude some credit. The the sportsmanship that he showed in the finals, giving that point to Alcraz when the ref had stated that Rude got there before the ball bounced twice. And Root said, nah, 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 I didn't give him a point. To do that in the finals is 
like the U.S. Open in the biggest tennis-specific stadium in the world with the crowd rocking, trying to get the number one overall ranked um, player and trying to win your first slam after losing the French Open earlier this year, just a couple of months back. Uh, words cannot describe the amount of respect I have for Rude. Incredible young guy. I think he's 23 years old, super young, number two ranked player in the world. Um, he's never won anything past the 250, but I was kind of talking shit about him before saying that he, Akeres had to save tennis because Rude was only a 250 champion and then he was going to be the ranked number one player. I take that back, dude. Rude is amazing. He's super consistent. Obviously, he's a clay expert. He's a clay specialist, but he's improved so much on hard court that I would not just say he's a clay specialist. He's his clay favorite. Like, that's his favorite surface, but he's also good on hard court. He needs to work a little bit on the grass, but Rude actually had a lot of chances. He could have broken, like, to start the first set right away. He had, like, I think two break points that he couldn't capitalize. And then the third set, he has his chances, too, to go up two sets to one. Couldn't close it out. He definitely had his chances. Amazing tournament by Rude. Um, Got to give him all the props in the world for his accomplishment, for getting to two slam finals this year. We'll see how he does moving forward, but the sportsmanship that he showed was just incredible, and I got to give him all the props in the world. But back to Alcaraz. I'm not going to sit here and talk about his tennis and all that stuff. You know, there's people more qualified out there that have talked about it, have praised, you know, could talk about how he needs to get better at his second serve return and all that stuff. You can hear that from them. What I want to point out is that Alcaraz really has the power to transcend, to take tennis to the next level. And by, by I mean, what I mean by that is I love tennis. I've gotten into the sport a lot more the last few years by playing it, by watching it. I used to watch it a little bit, mostly slams, not really at the tournaments. And I watch like everything. I keep up with everything. But first week of the NFL walked into a couple of boards this whole weekend and the thing that was playing on the most was MLB and NFL and no one was really watching tennis there was a couple bars that I could see a little bit of the U.S. Open but when I went to a bar on Sunday I had to watch the U.S. Open final on my phone because none of the sports bars were showing it it was NFL and I get it NFL is king but the U like it's the U.S. Open final what I'm trying to get at is that Alcaraz He's this player, young player. People like to see the transformation of the player. They like to follow the player from the beginning of the career to the end of the career. So, yeah, I know the big three was amazing, but they kind of started before the social media age. And by the time, you know, social media took took over in early to 2010s, 2013, 2014, they were already made players. They were already the big three. Like, people had missed somewhat their the start at the beginning, especially Federer and Nadal. More of Nadal and Djokovic at that point. They were already, you know, talked about being the GOATs when social media really took that boom and really crept its way into sports. Alcaraz right now, 19, winning his first Grand Slam during the social media age. Like, his his face is everywhere. And uh, I, I noticed that, like, if I, I post clips of Alcaraz and I try to share as much as I can on tennis on my social medias. And people be replying. They're like, oh, this was cool. And, like, throughout the U.S. Open... People are actually hitting me up and saying, like, yo, I've been watching a little bit of tennis and this shit's dope. Like, I, I'm, I'm getting caught up in it. Like, this is cool. Like, like go Tiafo, go Nadal. Like, they're getting into it. And I think Alcaraz has the potential to bring the tennis, especially in the U.S., because it's big in a lot of places, but in the U.S., 
to new heights. And I know he's a Spaniard and, you know, the Americans are going to have something to say about that too. Tiafo with that, you know, smile that brightens up the room. But, man, Algraz, I think being 19, his story is barely getting started. It's barely getting written. We're like in chapter one of Algraz and this social media age and just how charismatic and easy it is to watch him and his sport. The way he plays tennis is very easy on the eye. I think Algraz has a has the chance to really take tennis to that next level in the U.S. Social media age, being 19 years old, easy to watch, easy on the eyes, highlight-driven. highlight, highlight driven. Um, You know, social media is very highlight-driven, and Alcaraz has amazing highlights, amazing gets, amazing defense, amazing shots, winners, all this stuff. I really think Alcaraz could take tennis to the next level in the U.S., and I kind of saw it a little bit this U.S. Open, and I'm very excited to see how it progresses in the next slams in the next few years. It's exciting times for tennis in the U.S. So these Americans look like they're getting a little better, like they're learning how to compete a little bit better. And there's a lot of young players that could attract a lot of attention in the U.S. and maybe chip away a little bit at these other big sports like the NFL, like the MLB, like the NBA. But that should do it for this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. As always, if you made it to the end, I appreciate you so much. Make sure to subscribe to the channel, follow the podcast, get those downloads up. Thank you so much. Have a good night.